You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at thebannerchurch.com. Amen. Amen. That was an awesome video. Uh, Mike Myers, who came, if you saw him, it uh, came and filmed. And literally, like, right before service, he's like, hey, just want to let you know I edited footage and made you a video. And we're like, when? He's like, oh, just a couple minutes ago. It's like, what an absolute boss. So thanks, man. Uh, uh, Friday was incredible. Uh, if you were here, you were a part of it, I just want to tell you, uh, I know so many people, so many more people gave than could actually physically be here. So I just wanted to tell you, it was amazing. Uh, we love our community. If you're here today because you came to that event, I'm so glad you're here with us. Uh, we love you. We love our city. We love our neighbors everybody, and uh, we are just never going to get tired of finding ways to bless our community, right? And this is a place for everybody to come in and engage with the hope of Jesus Christ. So, uh, man, yeah, we did uh, 125 backpacks full of school supplies. Amen. We had 15 barbers that did over 65 haircuts in two hours. That's a lot of haircuts. That is a ton. Uh, next week, we're going to be doing something to honor all of them, so we're going to really specifically shout them out. I encourage you, man, if you need to get your haircut, I have 15 people that I would recommend you to. Uh, they, they just did an incredible job and gave up their time to be here. Uh, we are, we're so grateful. We had over 40 volunteers, which is incredible. We had some great volunteers come down from Impact. We had some volunteers come to the East Valley Dream Center, uh, and a lot of the volunteers were you guys, and a lot of our Love the Block team. So I'm just so thankful for you. It was it was really an incredible time. Uh, we're just we're just celebrating all kinds of wins. It, it was a and it was just amazing. It blew me away. I was walking through. If you were here, it was just crazy to see. But it was because honestly of your guys' generosity. I mean, this has been the amazing thing. I've I've had people ask me as we've been preparing these things and, and uh, you know seeking to really influence this next generation. People are like, how do you guys do it? You know, we we are not a massive church and yet we give like a massive church. And uh, someone. I was like, oh, are you surprised? I was like, you know, I wasn't surprised. Uh, it's because I know who you are as a church, and I love this church, and I love you, and I, I know you, and I know your heart, that your heart is to see uh, the mission, the gospel, the hope of Jesus Christ spread. And so I love being able to count on a church that's missional, right? Isn't it fun that we get to seed into our neighborhood rather than fight about like color of carpet and chairs and like weird stuff that super hyper-religious churches fight about, right? Instead, we can go around and we can love on our community. We can share the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was just, it was incredible. I was laughing with my wife. I was like, it's crazy for me to think uh, back four years ago, you know, get those like Facebook memory updates and I got one and it was us meeting in a house up here at McCormick Ranch and we relaunched the church. So when we relaunched the church four years ago, we met in a home with 22 people. And when we came and served last night, we had 44 volunteers. And I was really encouraged by the fact, not just, uh, not a big number, but that number right there, that we started with 22 people engaged in the mission who really believed and saw that and who were willing to see it in. And then last night, we had twice as many people volunteering that were in the whole church. And uh, I just love that. I love what God is doing here at the church. Thank you for giving. Those of you who couldn't come physically, thank you for giving. Thank you for donating. Thank you for going to 
Target when you didn't want to and buying a backpack. Thank you for going online and giving uh, abundantly and over and above. People gave thousands to make this happen. And uh, I, I'm just believing that this is going to plant even more seeds. We had administrators from the school coming just so excited, just in tears over uh, this this effort from our heart. Can I say, like, this is, should be our all the time. Now, we ramp up for big things, but I want to tell you this fall, we're launching uh, Love the Block, not just as a small group, but as a ministry that you can sign up and engage into. And my heart, the cry of my heart is that we would catch the vision that God will build the altars and the avenues, and that His Holy Spirit would be present in every altar and every avenue in this city, and that we would see a move of God, but it is going to take a continued effort and a culture that says, it's not just about us, it's about going out, that at the altar we receive the filling of the Holy Spirit, the renewal of the Holy Spirit, and we don't just take that and store it up and hide it away in our basement, the basement of our lives and our schedule, but we catch that fire, the fire of the Holy Spirit, and we go out and we share the love of Jesus with others. So I want to encourage you, get your small group to come, sign up for a small group, get your small group to come. We got small group signups literally next week, so you're going to get a whole group of people. Uh, I'm, I hope that's the right day. If not, uh, you can still sign up. I'll just write your name down. Um, but, uh, but we, uh, and then I really encourage you to engage in that ministry. It's going to be amazing. We have an amazing Love the Block team. We have some amazing leaders, so it's going to be good. But today, I thought I'd talk about Elijah. Someone say Elijah. Elijah. Oh, man, as I almost die. <clears throat> <laughs> Someone was going to have to be Elijah and bring me back from the dead there in a moment. <laughs> uh, but uh, we're going to talk about Elijah. And really, I felt like this series, I mean, I, I personally love Elijah as a person in the Bible. He inspires me a lot of what God did through him. But I felt like we're in the right season for a series on Elijah. Not only what God did through Elijah, but what God did in Elijah and the calling upon his life. And I feel like God is really uh, bringing us into a season of believing for big things and trusting with big things. Because did you know if you're going to believe God for great things, you got to trust him with big things in your life. And so we want to talk about that in this series. Uh, my wife is going to preach. She's preaching next week, right? My wife is preaching next week. She's going to preach on the fire falling from heaven. It's like one of my favorites, and uh, that's how you know how much I love you, because that's like my favorite scripture ever. Um, but it's going to be amazing. But today, I want to start in 1 Kings verse 17. I'm going to give you a little preface here. Let me give you a little background. Um, if you're not familiar with the Old Testament, let me, let me summarize a little bit of what's happening for Israel. Israel is brought up out of Egypt, out of slavery. They're brought to the promised land by God. There's a 40-year period where they disobeyed. They end up wandering around for a bit, but they get there. They get to the promised land, and uh, Moses doesn't take them in, but Joshua takes them in, and after the book of Joshua, there's this whole thing called Judges, and <laughs> Judges, I preached a sermon series on Judges, and it's kind of a depressing book. There's some amazing, encouraging parts, but a lot of it you're like, wow, things got really bad really fast. Like, I'm talking about like in 30 years, they got really bad really fast, right? Uh, and you can go read it yourself. There's some wild stuff. But the book of Judges is all about these God-appointed judges that would uh, kind of prophetically rule and, and provide guidance and sometimes deliverance by God's hand, like Gideon, right, for the people. And Judges is really a story of the people of God struggling to follow God. 
struggling to walk in obedience and God being merciful and reconciling and them running away and him reconciling and them turning away and then him reconciling, right? It's this constant pattern. When you actually read the Old Testament, this whole moniker of angry Old Testament God kind of goes away, especially if you have kids because you understand obedience and disobedience, right? And you see a people that do, I believe, love the Lord, but they struggle like all of us do with a sinful nature, and as humans, they turn away. And so then they're given a king. They're given King David. Someone say David. David. They're given King David. Now, before this, Saul was the first king, but we're going to jump to David since he's the good one. Um, and they're given King David, and King David is probably one of the most famous figures in Jewish history, and uh, with probably with Elijah and Moses together. And King David rules, and he uh, establishes Israel, and then he has a son named Solomon. Now, David's flawed, and guess what? Solomon's flawed, because guess what? We're all flawed, right? Uh, Solomon's flaw included a lot of women. Uh, more than one wife at one time is too many. Solomon had hundreds of wives. That's hundreds too many, in case you're wondering. How many of you have siblings, and you understand how siblings fight? Be honest, be real. How many of you fight with your siblings? Okay, imagine having 1,200 siblings, right? That's going to make the Italian family with like 32 siblings down the street look like nothing, right? Right? <laughs> There's like a thousand, right? Everybody's having kids everywhere, a concubine. I mean, it's just, it's a mess, right? So Solomon, from Solomon comes some sons, and from those sons come fighting and comes division of the kingdom. And the kingdom of Israel divides into Israel and Judah. And if you were to go back and read First Kings, and we don't have all the time to do this, you will see this really long line of really bad people. And like, basically it'll say like, and so arose so-and-so, son of so-and-so, and they did all the evil their fathers did and more. And then you get like a good one, be like, and you know, and this one stood up. And Asa, he stood and he was for the Lord. And then it'll be like, and he died. And the next one came and he was evil and he did all the evil of his fathers. This happens like 19 times, right? And they just get progressively more evil till they get to a guy named Ahab. Someone say Ahab. Ahab, King Ahab. And Ahab is part of a long line of evil, crazy, vile people. And he is married to Jezebel, who I'm pretty sure is considered one of the most evil women in all of history. One of the most evil women of all of history, sacrificing children to idols, killing thousands upon thousands of people. She was very, very evil. And so what we're going to jump into in time is a kingdom that was supposed to be following God, but is actually surrounded by idol worship, surrounded by evil, surrounded by perverseness, surrounded by destruction, surrounded by armies coming to take them, surrounded by all kinds of things. And we're going to step into this moment because what we find fascinating is that God doesn't raise up an army. He raises up one man. What we're going to see in 1 Kings is amidst all this evil, God does not raise up an army or a support group. He raises up one man. And I find something so identifiable about that in our current culture. That I believe that God is not just raising up an army. And there's all this, I was like, here's an army rising up. I kind of feel it's more in our, in our generation, in our nation right now, God is raising up the one, one by one. God is raising up the one friend to stand for truth. 
He's raising up the one coworker to speak life where life is not being spoken. Are you with me? I believe he's raising up the one parent to adopt a child. I believe he's raising up the one teen to stand for sexual purity. I, pray, I believe that he's raising up the one leader to step into politics and bring life into dark places. All throughout history, in fact, the best part of Judges, remember I told you kind of a sad book? The best part of that book is when God raises up the one person to do something incredible. They're not incredible when he chooses them, but he raises them up. He makes them a man of God. He makes them a woman of God to save a nation. And so that's what we're going to look at today. How does God make a man of God? We're going to talk specifically about the making of a man or woman of God. The person we're going to look at is Elijah. Elijah's name, if you break it down, Eli and Jah, literally means the Lord is my God. But specifically, it means my God, right? The Lord is Jehovah. Jehovah is God. In an age of polytheism, his name has a very direct point. They say, well, this is God, this is God, this is God. Elijah, his name literally is Jehovah is God. He's not Eli Baal, right? Baal is God. He's Elijah. Jah is God. Jehovah is God. It's his whole being. It's his whole person. And so we know his name is Elijah. We know a couple things about him. We know he is a Tishbite. I know it's an important uh, thing for everybody to know. He's a Tishbite, and he is from Tishbe of Gilead. That's about all we know, and we know he's a prophet. Now, in our culture, when we think of prophecy, we think of the future, a lot of times we think of like what's going to come. We think of like prophesying the end times. You think that guy in the corner with the billboard that's been wrong so many times you can like see the paint peeling from the days he's predicted the world's going to end? You know what I'm talking about, right? We think that. Though in Scripture, you know, in all time, there are people who prophesy about what is to come. That is a very crucial part of prophecy, seeing things that aren't, right, and prophesying what is not yet as it will be. Right? We joke about in ministry, you have to have a bent to the prophetic because you have to see people not as they are currently acting towards you like, but how God sees them and how they could be. Right? Prophetic. But there's another part of the prophetic, which is speaking God's word to the people. Right? Reminding them God is in control. Calling them to repentance. A call to repentance is prophecy, right? The prophet or a prophet would come and speak. So part of him was to speak for the future. Part of him was to speak now and remind the people of a call to repentance. That's part of what a prophet would do. And so God sends Elijah in the scripture we're going to look at to speak to Ahab as a prophet. He's going to speak about what is to come in an effort to call them back to what should be now a submission and a heart for the Lord. So 1 Kings 17, verse 1. If you have your Bible, jump there. If not, it'll be on the screen. It says, Now Elijah, Jehovah is God, the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead, said to Ahab, Ahab the king, evil Ahab, it says, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word powerful prophetic word, right? To go before the king of a nation and say, there will be no water, especially in a semi-arid land. Just imagine if someone prophesied over Phoenix, there will be no water till I say so. And it happened. I would be stressed, right? I would be stressed, right? There would, there would be concern. Like, 
I, I was going to joke and say, J could you imagine, you know, if the whole nation just shut down? Then I was like, well, we can totally imagine that. Uh, <laughs> it's very imaginable. But instead of a rush on teepee and meat, there'd be a rush on water. I guess there was a rush on water. So just imagine like eight months ago, right? Put your mind there. <laughs> but just imagine if that went on for years. Imagine three years of that. No water. Imagine if it didn't rain and that was our only source of water for three years. We would be stressed. And so the question is, wait, I thought these were the people of God. Why would a loving God make his people not have water for three years? That doesn't sound very loving of him, right? Why would a loving God do that? Why would a loving God challenge them in this way? Why, why do this? Why say there's no rain? One of the most powerful visual reasons is because of who Israel was worshiping at that time, and it was not God. Ahab and Jezebel were leading the nation of Israel in worshiping all kinds of gods in polytheism. And one of the gods, the primary gods, false gods, that they would worship was named Baal. And Baal was the god of lightning, storms, and rain. So here's what Elijah does, right? God says, okay, Elijah, I want you to go and tell them, okay, you know everything that your God is in charge of? Yeah, none of that's going to happen for the next three years. Right? He comes onto his turf, right? Oh, oh if he, I mean, if he's a real God, then he'll just do it no matter what. And if God's God, well, I mean, this is going to prove it, right? It's like Elijah goes into the temple, right? He's like, oh, what is he a God of? Oh, rain? Okay, yeah, so none of that. Thus saith the real God of whom I am named for, Right? It's like this powerful image of, of going into a place and really throwing down the gauntlet, going into a false idol, be like, what is this one the idol of? This one's the idol of cows. Cows don't exist anymore, right? It's the same thing, right? For three years, there will not be a cow on the earth. That's the same, right? And so this is what he's saying. He's saying, what are you guys into? Oh, like rain and water? Okay, cool. None of that, thus saith God. That's a power move. That's what the kids call a flex, right? He flexed on him. That's exactly what happened, right? super hard. Now, in this moment, he throws down the gauntlet, and if you're like me, a very passionate, motivated by passion person, you would think this is the moment where the duel happens. The fire comes, it, it, it happens at this moment, but that's not what happens. Almost the complete opposite of that happens. Rather than, no more rain, your rain, God sucks, fire, right? God takes Elijah immediately away from that situation. Why? He threw down the gauntlet. It's time to go. It's time to fight. It's time to make it happen. God has all the power. He can really lift that temple up, throw it into the sky. Right? Why not? Because God wanted to do something through Elijah to show his power. But before God could do something through Elijah, he had to do something in Elijah. Before God can do something through us, he has to do something in us. God wants to use Elijah for something powerful, but he's got to shape him. It's kind of like if I, if I gave you like a piece of clay. It's like, here you go, and then I just started pouring water over it. You'd be like, ah, wah, right? It's like we need time to make it into a vase and shape it and form it and make sure it's good to go and, and find, find the rhythm and make sure, you know, it's, it's sturdy and it will stand up and it will hold water, right? And then, then it's filling. Then we go around and we can feed everybody from it, right? But it's like if I just give you the lump, yes, it's got the material. Yes, it's got the potential, but it needs to be shaped by the potter's hands. It needs to be built up. There needs to be a making in that moment. And our God is one who wants to do a work in us so he can do a work through us. God can do anything he wants, but he wants to do it with you. And he doesn't want to just use you. He wants to build you. 
He wants to strengthen you. He wants to renew you. He wants to inspire you. He wants to walk in love with you. And so he sends us on, and he sends Elijah into a season of preparation. And in it, there's three seasons of preparation I want to talk about. And I would have to say, uh, not, this first one is not the most inspiring point I've ever had in a message, if I'm just going to be honest. But I heard it, I've heard it explained this way, and I think it's the best way to explain this season. So I'm going to tell you, the very first season that God brings Elijah in is the season of private pain. The season of private pain. Yeah, not as many amens on the season of private pain, right? Let's look at it together. First Kings 17, verse 1. Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord of God lives, before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years, except by my word. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Depart from here, and turn eastward, and go hide yourself in the brook of Kareth. Uh, yours might say the Kareth Ravine. It might look like it says Cherith. It's Kareth, which is east of Jordan. It says, You shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went, Elijah went, and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook of Kareth that is east of the Jordan. So he gives word to Ahab, we're throwing down the gauntlet, I'm stepping on your false god's toes, I'm kicking sand in his face, and then immediately God's like, cool, now leave. Not only leave, but go back, go back to an area east of Jordan. This area was called Gilead. Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe of Gilead. He sends him back home. <laughs> It's like, all right, go cool down, all right? He sends him out to the middle of nowhere. This brook on the east side of Jordan was a seasonal place of water, meaning there's not water all year. And if you just told somebody there would not be rain for years, where would the last place you'd want to go? A seasonal place of water, right? Main river, lake, something, right? But he, God sends him to a seasonal brook, and he sends him to a seasonal brook named Kareth. The root of Kareth is just Kareth. My Hebrew is awful, but Kareth. It means to cut off or cut down like a tree. To be cut off. I love that in Scripture names have meaning, right? Saul is anointed king at a place meaning to be brought low, but he dies on a hill meaning to be proud. Right? Elijah, whose name means Jehovah is God, is brought to a place which means to be cut off, the Kareth Ravine. God took Elijah to a place where he would be cut off, cut off from blessing, cut off from others. A wilderness place. Some of you immediately know the place I'm talking about because you're there. The Kareth Ravine. For, uh, for Christmas, I got a pruning knife, and uh, when you garden, that's, I know, it's exciting. Um, most people, it's just like, oh, that's, that's cool. Um, but for me, it was cool because I really enjoy pruning things in my garden, and I learned really quick when I was learning to grow things how important pruning was because I kind of thought, like, well, I did all this work to grow what's here. I certainly don't want to start cutting it off. You have any idea how much work it took just to grow this? And so I got these two trees, and I put them in my front yard. And they're, you know, these, like, native Arizona trees. Actually, they're literally trees just like the ones outside. If you're watching online, it's a museum Palo Verde. 
Um, <laughs> if you can't see him, people, so we have people that watch in Thailand, they're like, I can't see what tree you're talking about. Um, and I, I planted trees at my house, and I let them grow, and I was so excited about how big they're growing. Someone's like, hey, are you going to, like, trim them up? I was like, no, like, I'm trying to get as big as they can. Like, I want them to be huge. And so the first storm that came, anyone guess what happened to those trees? First storm. They blew over, 100% blew over. Branches broke, things got infected, things broke off. The things I didn't want to cut off broke off anyways, right? The first storm just leveled them. So what did I do? I dug the hole deeper, I lifted them back up, I put them in, and then what did I do? I pruned them. I pruned them. I mean, you would have thought I killed these trees the way I pruned them. <laughs> I mean, they were like little these little tree nubbins, uh, but that's how I was taught to, to prune them. And now they're 35 feet tall, and they shade my entire house. Never blown over. They don't break apart. But it was crucial that they be pruned. Why? Because they, they were in a growth pattern that didn't match the growth of their roots. They weren't rooted as deep as what they could sustain. So on the surface, they looked big and bold and amazing. But underneath, they weren't secured. And I had to cut it away because there was a storm that was coming that I needed them to stand tall for. I needed them to weather the elements. I needed them to be prepared because I needed them to shade, to cover, to be this covering for my house, to be this big thing. I needed them to be 35 feet tall. I didn't need them to be five feet tall. So in order to do that, I needed to prune. I needed to cut away. In the ravine, God is taking Elijah through a season of humbling, through a season of pruning. God is humbling him privately in the ravine. And he is pruning him, making him totally and completely dependent on God. He's cut off from the things he could count on before. He's cut off from the places he was before. It's him and the Lord, and God is cutting him down. Why? Because you have to be humbled privately before you can be used publicly. God wants to do a deep work now in your life so that he can do a great work later through your life. Big plans require a deep work. Big branches require deep roots. A big move of God requires deep roots. I see this in ministry all the time. We grow big branches, but we don't have deep roots, and then we're devastated when it blows over. We need deep roots. You need deep roots in your family if you want to lead them. You need deep roots in your community if you want to grow it. You need deep roots. But we only get it through pruning got to be humbled privately before he can be used publicly. And some of you, you are in a season, if you were honest today, of painful pruning, a season of private pain. And maybe you're in that season, you're like, what? You've been asking, where is God? Right? I can't see him. I don't know what he's doing. I feel isolated. I feel like I'm in that Kareth ravine, I'm just like out here in the wilderness. But really, God could be doing a work in your life. I'm not saying that all pain you face is God trying to teach you something. But I am saying, when you are being humbled by the Lord, you will know. When God is taking you to a place where you rely on Him rather than yourself. He's trying to prune the things that weigh you down. How could a loving God do that? Because He's trying to take the burden off of you, not add more on. Let me give you the best example that came through my mind. Um, I really like sheep, and uh, I know, stay with me. Uh, stay, stay with me. I really like, anyways, I like sheep, and uh, there I saw a video of this sheep named Shrek. Great name for a sheep. Great name. And Shrek didn't like getting sheared, and so he ran away for seven years. And so they found Shrek in the wilderness seven years later. And uh, now you can Google this later. It's amazing. Now, he was lucky because he had so much wool uh, that predators couldn't, he was too chonky. Predators couldn't bite into him. 
right? He was too thick, right? <laughs> Uh, he was too thick and predators couldn't get him But the hard part is he couldn't see And he couldn't really walk He didn't want to get pruned He didn't want those things cut off And now he couldn't see and he couldn't walk And so he's found one day And he was just stuck You know John ten eleven says I'm the good shepherd The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep You know Jesus is the shepherd We are the sheep But so often we don't like being sheared we don't like the weight being cut off, so what do we do? We run into the wilderness. And the hard part is in the wilderness, all of a sudden, after a while, we can't really see. And after a while, we feel that weight, and we can't really move. And then we say, God, where are you? And he's like, I'm right here with the shears. We're like, eh, <laughs> right? Because we don't want to be sheared. We don't want the weight cut off. We don't want the burden released, right? But God's saying, listen. To do what I've created you to do and be who I've created you to be. I didn't create you to be blind. I didn't create you to be weighed down. I created you to run and live life and live life to the fullest. Right before John 10, 11, he says, John 10, 10. says, a thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that you might have life and have it to the fullest. The fullest is not covered by the weight. It is being pruned. Weight's got to get cut off. Jesus talks about this. He says, uh, the body is like, uh, the body of Christ and, and him are like this big vine. And the master comes along, the father comes along, and he prunes the vine, and anything that doesn't want to be grafted in, it gets thrown into the fire. So we really lean on that, but the part I think we miss when we think about the vine and being part of the vine of God is that it says he prunes the ones he loves. He thought about that. God prunes the ones he loves. Some of you are like, I think about it all the time. This is my life, right? <laughs> He prunes the ones he loves. How can a loving God prune? Because that's what it is. Cutting away the things that hold us back. Cutting away the dead things. Cutting away those things we keep going back to. We keep pulling on. We keep hanging on, right? Cutting those away. The stuff that makes us blind. It makes us feel safe and protected. But guess what? We can't see. We can't move. Some of you today... You are in the Kareth Ravine. You're in the brook of Kareth, that place of being humbled and broken. And you understand, just like Elijah, you're like, man, yeah, I understand the things that I used to be able to depend on, I can't depend on anymore. God has begun to cut them away and humble me. It's like, it's like I've been cut down. I'm in that place, and it's painful, and it hurts. I, I don't like it. I don't I necessarily want to be here. It's dry. But I want you to understand that this is a season where God is trying to prepare you, not destroy you. If God has brought you to that place, I'm not take, talking about bad decisions. I'm talking if the Lord has led you to this place, then he's trying to prepare you. And there's things that you need to learn in this season that you could not learn any other way. It was interesting when uh, we came down to plant a church and we met with the team here, and we're working to relaunch the church that is this church here. Uh, before we moved, I met with my former pastor, and he gave me, you know, some wisdom. And then he told me, he's like, listen, he's like, people who are more anointed than you and more anointed than me have gone and planted church, and they have failed. And I was like, this is a great conversation. <laughs> I'm so glad I had this conversation. And he said, and he said very wisely, he said, listen, this is going to hurt, and this is really going to break you in a unique way. And I was like, this conversation sucks. <laughs> and then I got down here, and I went to a conference uh, with uh, Dana and Bridget, who are our missionaries at ICA Bangkok. And at the conference, one of the teachers, one of the people got up and said, listen, you're only going to grow to the level of your pain tolerance. 
And uh, I don't know if you're like me, it takes a couple times for things to sink in when the Lord's talking. And, uh, and so I like went back to our hotel and I was kind of like, God, what are you trying to say? As if I didn't already know. <laughs> Where are my thick-headed people at? You know what I'm talking about. And uh, I was like, what are you trying to say? You're like, grow to your pain tolerance. It's going to hurt. It's going to be hurt. You're going to be broken. And uh, then when we were, like really got into it, we moved here, we planted, I, I, really, I fully understood what they were talking about. Because there has probably never been, there's been a couple seasons in my life. This is top three. Season in my life where I have ever, there's never been more hurt. Season where I have never suffered more private pain. It was probably moving here to plant this church was probably the worst season of my entire life. Hands down. I don't know. I don't know what yours is. She's like dealing with you in that season. Uh, <laughs> and probably the worst season of my life. I've never wanted to quit. I've never felt more dry. I've never felt more far from God. I've never wanted to like throw my hands up in the air or punch someone in the face as hard as in that one season of life. It was brutal for my wife and I physically, spiritually. And I remember like just being like, God, I don't know. I, I know I asked for this, but I don't know if I can take this. When I meant like lead me to a place, I didn't mean lead me to the Kareth Ravine. I meant lead me to a better place than I am now, not a, not a more painful place, right? And I remember thinking, like, this is the worst. No one understands. I feel so broken. I feel so beat up. I feel so dry in that season of being in the care of Ravine. And it was like, man, it was so difficult. And yet, and yet, I just had a pastor a couple months ago. We were talking, and I was just sharing. He's like, hey, what is God doing? And I was sharing about the vision of the church, and I was sharing out, you know, just where we are and the great culture that's coming up and what God's doing. I was sharing about coming out of COVID and literally having, like, the best year ever for our church, the year uh, of COVID, though it was uh, brutal and difficult and exhausting and, and, you know, exhausting again. People would be like, uh, didn't you take a sabbatical? I was like, yeah, if that sabbatical was in hell, I took that sabbatical, right? Uh, but it was, it was difficult, but it was amazing. It was so powerful, and we've come out of that season with so much vision and seeing God move and change lives, seeing God provide, seeing people give thousands to bless others, seeing just, just the incredible generosity, and we're so fired up and passionate about the next season that if I told you it would just blow your mind and we're going to keep sharing in the fall, it's going to blow you away what God is doing here. And he's like, how? How did you do that? And it's like, because I've been in the Kareth Ravine. Because there was things that God needed to do in me to prepare me for this moment. So when we got to COVID, I was ready. My wife will tell you, I knew before this all happened, I was like, God is going to bring, God's telling me there's a spirit of dread that's going to come upon this nation, and we have to be prepared to bring hope and life to people. And we did. He's like, how? I'm like, because I've been in the Kareth Ravine. I've been in that place of dryness. I've been in that place of breaking. I've been pruned. I've been humbled. God is continually humbling me, but I have been humbled, been brought low. He did something in me privately that no one really understood so that he could do something publicly that now people are seeing, right? I say that not to talk about myself, but to say that if you're there, I have also been there in that dry place. I've been in the ravine. I've been in that place of breaking. And I've been there for a while. You know, Elijah was there for a while. He was in that ravine for months. All alone. No one to talk to. No one understood how God was breaking him. But hear me. The more God humbles you, the more he breaks you, the more he's preparing you. See, this season of private pain, it prepares us for what God wants to do. 
Second season, we see God is shaping Elijah as a season of complete dependence. Complete dependence. Really unique. Let, let's look at the scripture, if you would, with me. First Kings 17, verse 4. He tells Elijah, God tells Elijah, You shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook of Kareth that is east of Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. There's a lot happening here. Right? A lot happening here. I know sometimes we see these as like, like fairy tale stories. This really happened, so I think we should look at how, great, how, how miraculous this is, right? He drank from a seasonal brook in a time where there's no rain. That right there is a slam dunk miracle, right? No water exists, but he's drinking it somehow. Awesome. God takes you to a place of dryness, but guess what he does in that place of dryness and isolation and pain? He provides for him. It says he's fed by ravens, bread and meat. That's my kind of diet. I'm here for it, right? Just steak and those like warm Albertsons loaves of bread. You know what I'm talking about? Just falling from the sky. It's amazing. I was thinking about this because I really love to research, and I was looking through, like, was it cooked meat? Was it just, like, parts of animals? You know, because this could be exciting or terrifying, depending on how you feel about birds, right? <laughs> depending on how you feel about birds, this could be bad. And I thought, like, where did the food come from? Like, is there just a family that every night for three months when they sat down for dinner just got ravaged by ravens? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> every night they're just, like, huddling over, just... <laughs> Right? It's like uh, Hitchcock's The Birds. They're just coming down the chimney and stealing pieces of meat and flying off with it, right? That's a, that's a scary movie. Don't go watch that. Uh, birds kill people. That's the premise. Um, but anyways, what happens is they bring him bread and meat, things to eat. And I love this because it's showing God's provision, but it's teaching Elijah to completely depend on God. It required Elijah to completely depend on him. He was nourishing his flesh and spirit, sure, but he was teaching him this principle in preparation of complete dependence. It was so that Elijah would learn, God is trustworthy, and I can depend on him. It's easy to depend on God when you got a freezer full of food. It's easy to depend on God when you have all the comforts you want. It's easy to depend on God when you're like right there next to the ATM, pull out some money, that thing's full, right? If that's easy. It's hard when you're in the Kareth Ravine. That's when it's hard. It's so easy to say, like, well, just have faith. Have you noticed that people who tell you that aren't in the ravine, right? Like, maybe God's trying to, like, I'm, I'm, I'm there. Trust me. I know. I have to completely depend. And that's what God is trying to teach Elijah. And I love how God provided. This is my favorite part. He didn't give him a pantry, give him food storage, didn't give him a freezer, right? He gave him enough for that morning and enough for that night. It wasn't like, and lo and behold, he opened up, uh, you know, like a, cap, a thing that went down into a bunker, and there was food for years, right? It was, he brought him food in the morning, and he brought him food for dinner. You know, when Jesus teaches us to pray, he doesn't teach us, give us enough so that we feel comfortable for the next three months. He teaches us in Matthew six eleven, give us this day our daily bread. Give me today, Lord, what I need for today. Tomorrow's got enough to worry about on its own. Would you provide what I need today? <laughs> and kind of even more so for Elijah. Because look, he didn't give him daily meat and bread. He gave it to him twice a day. Which meant he had enough for breakfast, and then there was a gap, and then he had to trust again. So every day he had to trust that God would feed him twice. So God didn't even give him 12 hours, right? 
It was like, boom, boom. It wasn't 12 days. It wasn't 12 years. It was really right then he had to learn, will I depend on God when I am in need? Will he be my source? Some of you are learning this right now in your life. You're learning. You're in this season of difficulty and pain and pruning. You're learning, I can't rely on the things I used to be able to. I can't rely on former comforts. But hear me. God says, I will be your comfort. Can't rely on the resources you once had. God says, I'll be your provision. I'll be your resource. I'll be your source. Maybe you, some of you can't rely on the friends and family you used to have, the relationships you used to have. God says, I will be there for you. Depend on me. I will bring exactly, not for tomorrow, not for 12 years from now, right now, the daily bread, which you need today, I will provide. Depend on me. God always brings what we need when we need according to what he knows. His ways are higher than our ways. I've noticed this, that there's an issue uh, when God starts providing, I stop depending. Have you noticed that? God starts providing and I stop depending. It's like when he does daily, I'm really locked in when I'm in the ravine. But all of a sudden, if I, if I feel good enough, right, it's like I was down here in the ravine. I feel like I'm feeling good now. I'm, I'm feeling great. Then all of a sudden, I get distracted. All of a sudden, I'm doing my own thing. And this happens all the time. People will be down here humble. They'll be walking with the Lord. Then all of a sudden, they feel like they're doing great. And all of a sudden, I don't see them for like two months. Then I get a text two months later like, man, I'm just struggling. I'm just wondering, where is God? I'm like, he's here. Where are you? Like, well, church is in a place. I don't need to be in church to have a relationship with God. Sure, I saw someone post the other day, you don't need to go home to be in a relationship with your wife. But after a while, that relationship is going to start breaking down. complete dependence. God is preparing Elijah, but as he's preparing him, he's pruning him, he's teaching him to rely on God. He took away the old comforts. He's teaching him to rely fully on God. See, what God wants to do through you is not because of your bank account. It's not because of your friends. It's not because of your relationship. It's not because of your last name. It's not because of where you're born. It's not because of the color of your skin. It's not because of the language you speak. What God wants to do through you is completely dependent on who God is. The work he wants to do in you is completely dependent on who God is. See, we read the Bible and we think these people are so different than us, but they get scared just like us. They were messy just like us. They were kind of crazy just like us. They had weird family just like us. They acted wrong just like us. They walked faithfully and then made mistakes just like us. They had the dry season and they cried out and got angry with God just like us. They had those times where they knew they were supposed to pray, but, pray, but they were so frustrated they didn't even want to talk to God just like us. Are we, can we be real here this morning? Right, They're just like us. They're just like us. But there was something when you look at how God uses people is that they made their hearts available and they depended on God. They were not perfect. They were pursuant of the Lord. Elijah was not perfect. But he learned how to depend on God. And so when that big day came, the day came, he's going to talk about fire falling. God moved in power and might. But right now in the ravine, God's teaching, cutting, pruning, breaking, preparing for complete dependence. The third season today. Everybody still with me today? Are we still good? Okay, good. This is the third season. Unconditional obedience. Private pain, complete dependence. Finally, unconditional obedience. 1 Kings 17, 7 through 9 says, After a while, the brook dried up. Because there was no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. 
Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. It's important. He says, after a while, the brook dried up. So let me phrase it a different way. After a while, the thing that he relied on for his source from the Lord was gone. Okay, scary, right? If we're being real. The thing, the, the brook was not like a sinful thing. It was, it, was, it was from the Lord. It was a blessing, right? After a while, it was gone, and he was in a place of dryness. And I think a realistic place or a realistic way to live in that moment is to say, what do I do now? When the thing I was trusting, the place of dependence and leaning on from the Lord, the provision, I can't see it now. It's not here. And I think a normal question we ask as people is, God, where are you? Where is this provision? But I want to encourage you if you're in that place, in the ravine, and you're in that place where it's beginning to dry up. That what God used to sustain you in one season, he might dry up to send you into the next season. See, last season you could trust a job, but now God has a new season for you, and so he might be drying up that job because he doesn't want you to sit in that place anymore. He wants you to step into the new place of obedience. Last season, you could trust that relationship, but that relationship has dried up. And now God is asking if you will step into obedience and where he's called you to be into this new season. Our response is, I'm feeling so dry. I'm feeling so far from God. I just want to tell you, if you're feeling dry today, that doesn't mean that you're sinning. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love you, right? It could be that he is directing you. It could be that you are a finite person trying to figure out how beautifully and powerfully God is orchestrating it. And guess what? Life is hard. But for some of us, you're in that place where the thing you've been relying on from God, he is drying up in this moment. But I want to I say, maybe God knows that if he leaves the water running, you won't start running. If he leaves the water running in your situation, in your life where you're at, you're going to keep drinking for it, which is a blessing, but it's not the completeness of the total blessing he's called you to and the purpose he's called you to. Preachers say, I've heard them say, God guides by what he provides. Sometimes. Uh, God also guides by what he does not provide. <laughs> right? Sometimes the dryness is a direction if we understand what season we're in. Uh, if you were a shepherd and you were by a seasonal brook and you had all your sheep together and the brook dried up, would you lay down on the ground and cry out to God? Or, or bemoan the brook? Would you post on Instagram like, I'm just having a tough season? Like, no, you'd get up and you'd go find another brook, right? Hopefully, you would be like, well, guess I'm just going to die now. You would get up and you would go find where there is water. That's true in our lives. When the brook dries up, it's not, God is not punishing you. He might be calling you. It's like, this isn't your place anymore. I love you. I provided for you. I'm going to provide something new for you. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm just saying it's God and it's good. It's true in our church. You know, when COVID hit, uh, I was prepared in a sense by what God was speaking to my life, but not prepared in the sense of basically anything else that happened during COVID. And uh, I never thought there'd be a season of my life where the government would tell me that I couldn't meet as a church or that there would be a pandemic that wouldn't allow me to meet for health reasons as a church. I never planned for that in my life. I never thought, what if there's this disease that takes over the world and none of us can meet? Never thought about that. Uh, and so in that season, my initial thought was like, why, right? Why be called somewhere just to not do church there? That was, that'd be kind of mean-spirited. <laughs> but in COVID, when it hit and we couldn't gather here, I said, okay, God, this part is dried up, but what have you called us to now? 
And that's when God began to burden back onto us. Hey, remember when you moved down and this is what you wanted to do? This is how you wanted to reach the community? Yeah, you should do that. Since you're not doing this, you should do that. I've dried up this brook. You need to go find new water. And so we did. We went out into the streets. And we begin to meet with people. We minister to all kinds of people. And we love on all kinds of people. And we love on our school. And we support the teachers. And we love on our neighborhood. And all the stuff that is the ministry of Love the Block. All the 125 backpacks. All the haircuts. All the supplies. All the rent that's paid. All these things is because the brook dried up. And God said, now I'm calling you into something else. And if we just lay there and said, the brook is dried up. The government says we can't do church. Oh my gosh. Like we would have just be lame. Right? No one come to that church. That church is lame. <laughs> you want to be engaged in a sense that, listen, God has given us a powerful mission of vision to influence our community and see revival at the altars and the avenues. And so we did. And part of Friday was a fruit of that and that calling. Listen, God was teaching Elijah unconditional obedience. The question is not, will you obey when it's easy, but will you obey when it's difficult? I don't need my kids to listen to me, tell them not to run in traffic when they're in the house. I need them to listen when there's traffic, when they don't want to listen. That's when I need them to obey me. And the same thing is true for us. God was calling Elijah to a new season, but he's trying to teach him unconditional obedience. The rest of the chapter, I'm just going to sum up this part because I don't have time to read it to you all, but you can go read it because the Bible's good, amen? And you could even get some people together and read the Bible together and teach them how to read the Bible. I'll throw that out there, whatever. Um, just a thought. Even before small groups, you can still do this. Um, it's amazing. But in the rest of the chapter, it's so cool. Elijah is called to go to Zarephath, and God tells him a widow is going to feed you, but surprise, he doesn't tell the widow that. <laughs> and so he gets to Zarephath and he sees the widow and he says, hey, would you bring me some food? And she says, no, I'm not going to bring you food because I'm making this last bit of food so that I can die. God didn't tell her <laughs> that this was going to happen. And uh, Elijah says, no, actually, you're not going to die. Instead, you're going to take this oil, you're going to get all these containers, you're going to fill up the oil, and you're going to continue making food, and it's not going to run out, and you're going to eat, and I'm going to be with you, and God's going to provide. How could he be so confident? Nothing physical about his situation said that that was going to happen. There was a famine, everybody's dying, the animals are dying, the crops are dead. Nothing in the physical says that a positive should come out of the situation, that life should go. How could he know that? Why was he so confident? Because he just came from the Kareth Ravine. He came from a place where he learned to supernaturally trust in the provision of God. It wasn't a theory for him. It wasn't a t-shirt. It wasn't a slogan on Facebook. It was his life. If you're in the Kareth Ravine, you understand because it's your life. So it's not going to run out, and it didn't. And the next, the woman's son dies. You would think it wasn't bad enough. Then the son ends up dying a little later. The woman looks at Elijah. She's like, why did you do this? Why did you bring this upon me? Elijah says, okay. So he takes the boy up to the upper room, and he, and he stretches himself over him, and he prays for him, and he prays, God, would you bring this boy back to life? And for the first time in documented history in this moment, God brings someone back from the dead. Okay. That's confident. I'm just saying that's confident. You, you pray over a dead person and come back to life, that takes some boldness. Take some, that takes some faith. That's faith in action. It's easy to say, yes, we should all pray that the dead are raised. It's a lot harder to take a child and pray that they would come back to, the life, to life in front of their mother. 
There's a boldness. How was he bold? How did he trust that God was going to move? Because he'd been in the Kareth Ravine, where he was cut down, where he was in a season of total dependence. So he'd depend on God alone. Not his own strength, not his own power, but God. And God dried up the brook, and Elijah obeyed him, and he went, and God began to move, and God began to do a work in his life. And next year, we're going to talk about the 400 false prophets that come against him, and the mighty fire of God that falls out of heaven, and how he's able to do that. Why? Because he's been in the Kareth Ravine. Band, you guys can come up. I guess the rest of the band. <laughs> First Kings 17, 24 says, The woman... When Elijah raises her son, it says, The woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord is in your mouth is truth. See, before he's Elijah the Tishbite, just his place of origin. Josh from Everett, right? That, that was it. That was his designator. Elijah the Tishbite. Now it's Elijah the man of God. In this season coming out of the ravine, he was formed, he was made into a man of God. And often, often, when God is building a man or woman of God, he will make them go through the Kareth ravine so that they can learn. He's got to do a work in you before he does a work through you. And usually that looks like a season of private pain. Some of you are in it. Looks like a season of complete dependence. Some of you are walking through it right now. Looks like a season of unconditional obedience. Some of you are making that choice. See, I, I praise God for the seasons he's brought me through now. They're easier to look back on. It's a lot harder when you're in it, when you're walking through it. Easier to look back, and I think I'm far from perfect person. Uh, but my prayer is when people see me, or let's say my kids, when my kids see me, my prayer is that they would just see their dad, they would see a man of God. That they would see a man of God. But men of God aren't built in palaces. They're built in the Kareth Ravine. Women of God aren't built on the platform and, and, and aren't built on a stage. Men of God aren't built standing in front of thousands. They're built in the Kareth Ravine. And God uses them, men and women, to reach the thousands, but it begins there. Some of you, I just want to say this might be your season where you need to make a step as a man or woman of God. And I want to encourage you, I'm calling you out today that you're in that dry season, but don't give up because some of you God is forming and calling to a great move upon your life. But it begins with learning in the season of preparation. Some of you, you're going to identify, you're like, from the beginning, I would say, I'm in the Kareth Ravine. I'm in that place. I'm in that season of dryness. I think as, sometimes as a church global, we struggle to talk about those dry seasons because they don't sound as fun or exciting. And then when you're in a dry season, you feel like the weirdo oddball out. And yet almost everybody here has been in a dry place, in a dry season. And if you're in that season where you're learning to trust him, some of you are saying, man, the brook dried up. And I feel like God is calling me to obedience to step up to be a man of God. But I've liked to hear where that provision was. And I don't know if I want to step up that way. Can I just encourage you? God's calling you to step up into unconditional obedience. And if you're there, uh, I've been where you are, and so it would really be my honor to pray for you today as your pastor, because I know what it's like there, and I want to pray that God would do a work in your life so he could do a work through your life today. Would you stand with me? 
Would you bow your heads and close your eyes as you're standing? We're going to pray for a few things, then I'm going to open the altar. The first service, I very simply said this. I said, when we worship, the altar's open. Come forward if you're in a dry place and invite the Holy Spirit to move upon your heart. If you need to trust him, if you need to follow him, if you feel like you're just, you've been being cut away and you need rest in the Spirit, I'm going to invite you as soon as we're done to come forward. And I was amazed by how many people are in that season. I think often when we're sitting in the seats, we think, I don't want to go forward. I don't want to take that step. I don't want to pray that because people are going to see me or that's just not who I am. Listen, this is you and Jesus. The revival starts in your heart before it starts anywhere else. And if anyone judges you, that's between them and Jesus. Don't worry, he'll take care of it. But I want to say this space is for you. But I want to begin, if you, with your eyes closed and head bowed, I want to pray for you. If you're in that space of dryness, you're in the Kareth Ravine, you feel like you're being humbled or cut, pruned, you long for your heart to be refined like gold, taking away any impurity and being refined and beautiful. And you're really needing to depend completely on God. Or maybe that brook is dried up and you seem to be faithful to hear and obey. But if you're in that space, would you lift your hands with me? And it would just be my honor to pray over your life today. Dear Jesus, you see those who in this moment are in a dry place. And you see their heart. Nothing escapes your vision. Nothing escapes your love. You see that place. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do a work upon those lives right now. For those who are in a place of dryness, I pray you would speak to their heart. I pray for those, they, they need things cut away. They need that weight cut away. They need that, that shame cut away. They need that proving cut away. Or maybe they just need things in their life to be pruned away, to step into what you have. God, I pray right now that you would begin to just cut those things away. That you don't come in like a heavy-handed sword. You come in like a surgeon and you carefully and graciously and lovingly take away those things that weigh us down. The cancers, the things in our bodies, in our minds, in our heart, in our spirit that have come against it. We pray healing in bodies. We pray healing in minds. We pray restoration by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I pray for those who need their hearts refined. We pray refine our hearts like gold, like that gold when the craftsman is, is heating it up by the fire, the refiner's fire, that as the impurity comes up, that it's scooped away so that each part and each pass, that gold becomes so pure-hearted. Make us pure-hearted today, Lord. And God, would you provide and would we depend on you today? We invite you, God. We say, would you provide in this space? And God, we pray that when that brook dries up for those who are in the place of needing to step out, needing to step into being a man or woman of God this morning, I pray they would listen and obey in the name of Jesus. Second thing today, eyes closed, head bowed, I want to pray a salvation prayer for you. Today, if you're in this place and you're in a low place, not, not a season of preparation, you know, some, sometimes God lets us get so low that we finally cry out to him. We've got nowhere to turn but Jesus. If you're isolated in your pain, and I don't mean in the way to learn, I mean in the sense if you're isolated in your pain that comes from sin and comes from shame, hear me today, Jesus came to take away your sin and shame, that he's the perfect lamb, that he died on the cross, that his blood was shed to cover your sins, and when you call on the name of Jesus, your sin is washed away, you're born again, he does a miracle in your life, and you can trust him to be enough for your soul. And so if you want to pray today, God, I recognize my need for you, Jesus, would you be the Savior and Lord of my life, I'm going to invite you right now online or in person. Would you just lift your hand and put it back down if you want to make that choice? Jesus, would you be the Savior of my life? 
I want to pray for you today. Jesus, we thank you that all who call on the name of the Lord are saved. We thank you. Your word says if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. We thank you that there is hope and healing for all who call upon you. And I pray this morning that you would do a work upon every life. Those who are in a low place, I pray you would restore by the power of your love this morning. And Jesus, I pray as we enter into a time of worship, as we sing this song available, as we sing these words, I hear you call, I am available. I say, yes, Lord, I am available. As we open this altar, I pray for a moment of just honesty, that we would be an honest church, saying I'm in a dry place, but I trust you, God. And as we open the altar, we come forward and we say, Jesus, we trust you. In your mighty name, amen. I'm just going to open the altar this morning. We're going to worship together. I encourage you to come forward and engage in what the Lord has for you today.